0: I'd like to welcome everyone to today's How to Franchise Simply teleconference, where we're privileged to have John O'Brien, CEO of Paulworth, joining us. Uh, Delightful to have you here today, John, I appreciate you making your time available. Uh, The title of today's teleconference is 15 Near-Death Experiences in Small Business and Franchising, so I'm looking forward to this, I must say. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear some gems, so I recommend to anyone listening that they have a pen and a pad handy to write down any notes and also jot any questions down if I'd like to put to John uh, later on. John's background in franchising is extensive. Um, I consider him personally to be one of the most qualified people in the country to speak on the practical side of franchising. um, He'll share with you a little bit of his his background, but just to tell you, um, which he modestly may not, is that uh, Paul Works and and John O'Brien really have a a long list of awards and recognitions throughout the industry. Um, Paul Works... um, uh, have featured as one of the fastest growing franchises in the business in the country with BRW magazine for the last seven years also been national franchisor of the year on two occasions as well as numerous other industry awards. Uh, John personally was uh, at an earlier time an Australian franchisee of the year so quite a significant achievement and a regional franchisee of the year as well as franchisor of the year. He uh, also has contributed enormously to the industry and He's a past chairman of the Franchise Council of Australia and a um, owner manager of the year uh, for the Australian Institute of Management. So without any more ado, um, John, I'd like to hand over to you and uh, just perhaps give us a little bit of your background initially. Uh, possibly what, what attracted you to franchising in the first place?
1: Thanks, Brian. It's always a bit embarrassing when you listen to that list. You sound like you're 200 years old. (laughs) uh, Yeah, look, it is uh, always interesting to see how people get into franchising. Um, 1982 it was for me, working for Cadbury Schweppes, and uh, uh, we had the home-delivered soft drink division, some 400 trucks and all of our vending business, and it wasn't doing too well. and. uh, Franchising had only just kicked off in Oz at that time and uh, I found myself uh, at a young age uh, at a uni um, being thrust into managing franchising and for me personally I I fell in love with uh, with franchising and it's it's been my meal ticket and will be for my career. I, I suppose the thing Brian that I love most about franchising and and I, I do say this very genuinely is that my, my biggest turn on what keeps me going is um, I suppose coaching and mentoring uh franchisees who join us uh, knowing nothing about our industry or franchising or indeed often not having ever been in small business and uh and coaching them from you know, day 1 when they rely on you for everything to uh two or three years down the track where they're running a, a highly successful business and and over time seeing them at uh, annual conventions and trips around Australia where uh Yeah, they've uh, exceeded their wildest expectations, uh, both in in career and
0: financially for them and their families. That that's uh, my history in Mm -hmm. Mm franchising. And uh, and Paul Words, you uh, you acquired that from Bob Bunning, I think it was in uh, what '96 or something like that.
1: Yeah, look, it was an interesting one. Um, I'd uh, from '82 through to '95, I'd uh, been involved in half a dozen different franchise groups, uh, grown them, imported them, exported them. And uh, in '95, I sold out of my other interests and uh, went looking. Uh, I spent six months travelling the globe looking for my next franchise business, which is a bit of a different way. Most people start a franchise by running a good store or a good service business and uh, they have two or three and get a bit strung out on capital, wonder how to expand and start franchising. Um, I was already a franchisor looking for an industry, so it was kind of the opposite way around. Mm and uh, spent 6 months um going to the US and Europe and uh I had a half a dozen criteria um I was looking for an industry that was um disorganized because that's what franchising does it organizes disorganized industries um probably more than anything else um it had to be mobile with a retail upside um it had to um uh be have global uh, potential and a couple of others I can't recall I saw truck with a pool pole in the back of it in california and uh landed back in brisbane and followed a pool van back from the airport and (laughs) i thought that's uh karma i bought that (laughs) i bought that business uh with six vans and today we have 330 vans and 70 stores so yeah extraordinary
0: that's amazing okay well so what you're going to do is share with us Fifteen of the key elements that you think, uh, I suppose, from your experience over the years with your own businesses and many franchisees, as you say, would run into hundreds and hundreds that you've had over the years by now with Mm. franchisees and so forth. Just the points of experience and those sort of showstoppers that come along the way that you need to be prepared for. So uh, perhaps you'd like to uh, get the ball rolling there and start off, uh, I think, your first one, Mentioned, to you me was confusing ego with confidence. <laughs>
1: yeah, look, Brian. As I said earlier, the, these are probably um, 15 near-death experiences in small business generally, and, and mm. they they very much relevant to franchisors and franchisees, uh, and and other small businesses. But um, for me, you know, joining um, well, coming into franchising as a, a bit of a young hotshot out of university and with a good corporate career, I uh, I nearly shot myself in the foot by um, uh, thinking I could, I could run a small business, which franchises and indeed, um, emerging franchisors are, um, the same way that I ran a corporate. And I, I very quickly realised that, um, if you're going to have a successful franchisor business, uh, you need to be sleeves rolled up. You need to be able to do every job in the business from woe to go. Um, and it's interesting today that, um, I see new franchise partners, as we now call them in our business, franchisees, who uh, more and more come into our business from uh, middle corporate backgrounds and uh, they're always telling me what they're going to do and how they're going to do it better. <laughs> uh, I often have a bit of a, a laugh to myself and um, I, I find before very long um, they they do one of two things, those people, and there's a lot of them. They, they either wake up to the fact that you know, there's a lot to learn in small business and in the franchise and, and indeed we know about a lot about what we do. Or sometimes and sadly those uh, those people that are really ego driven um, would have been better off getting into their own business than into a franchise business.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but they're not team players. Yeah. You know, and uh, Because if they stay in the business they, they end up um, only wanting to do it their way and they affect the rest of the group and, and they invariably fail. Um, you know, I find the most successful franchisees are those that have the qualities of consistency and, and persistence all day, every day. They they follow the system. As, as our most successful franchisees say when they pick up that award at our awards night every year, we simply follow the system.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, they do the one percenters
0: all day, every day. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's no different for someone... Um, on the other side of the fence as a franchisor or as a business owner contemplating being a franchisor, they have to, they have to be to a, to a fair degree fairly humble and accept that it is a team environment and the biggest benefit they're going to get is from working with their franchisees. Gee, that's true.
1: Um, I, I know you and Brian, Brian, you and I have a long history in franchising and we've seen franchisors come and go and rise and fail and, uh, Uh, An egotistical franchisor, because the franchise partners have got skin in the game, Um, they very quickly see through you. And uh, I've seen many an egotistical franchisor that's ended up killing his system through his own arrogance. Um, Mm, I agree with
0: what you said. Waste of opportunity. Um, And then moving on to the next one there, we've got a bit to go through. Uh, Family in the business was uh, a point that uh, you drew up on your list there.
1: Yeah, well, once again, very relevant for franchisees and for franchisors. Um, I know, as as I established uh, the poolworks business um, 15 years ago, uh, and I started off with one person, me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, very soon the the only people you can suvo- uh, can, can afford are, are family, friends, and fools, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, my brother... Um, Uh, left his cushy public service job to join me. My two brother-in-laws and my wife um, were all my first employees. And, you know, one of the good things about that is that, you know, you can normally trust them when you don't have the time to check on them. Mm. Um, But, uh, you know, historically, unfortunately, uh, you know, family comes at a price. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, often along the way they end up becoming shareholders. and uh, as a, a good shareholder colleague of mine today says that uh, it's often the outlaws that cause the most problems, actually. Mm,
0: mm, yeah, yeah <laughs> they have yeah, a different sort of commitment and there's an expectation there that uh, expects privileges perhaps beyond what somebody commercially might, uh, might think they're due.
1: They do. I mean, as the business grows, unfortunately, the the partners of your siblings um, often think their partners uh, need greater greater recognition. Mm. But at the end of the day, it was it was your dream and your mortgage that got the business going. And um, there, there's a sad day in um, uh, in partnerships where you know, often people refer to it that the first day is actually the best day in a partnership. And it's um, it's very important, I think, therefore, to have shareholders agreements. Um, particularly shareholders agreements where family members are involved. Mm. Um, that very clearly um, lays out uh what the entitlements of the parties are, what their share is, uh what dividends are and in particular what what happens when it's time to break up the partnership and how you do that and how you value that.
0: Yeah, your extra strategies
1: sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I had a terrible example. Brian uh my, my partner, uh, um, my business partner, Michael, my brother, a um, uh, great guy and great partner and we are in business for years together, he, he, he died un- unexpectedly in a tragic car accident mm. and um, I, I, that was bad enough to deal with but I, I suddenly found myself, um, he was just going through um, a divorce. And I suddenly found that my new partner was my brother's, um, unhappy ex. Oh goodness. <laughs> and she was going through enough trauma uh, oh. at the time and, uh, mm. it turned out for both of us to be, you know, very, very taxing personally and expensive, but, you know, we, we got through that. Okay. I might just mention, there's
0: another, some more people joining us on the line. And um, if you would, if you are listening, just, um, if you could press star six on your phone. That'll mute the phone so that there's no feedback and we can't hear any interference or other noise in your office so if you just press star six that'll be great thank you sorry uh, John yes please carry on um, well the last bit
1: of that Brian is that um, you know we have some nearly two hundred and fifty franchise partners in our business now and uh, we we actually actively look to partner our franchisees together so uh, yeah, we might look at bringing two or even three together in a certain area to form a bigger business. And um, uh-huh. we, we actually have a standard shareholders' agreement that uh, we, we provide to our network and we encourage them to take that to their uh, solicitor advisors and we actually um, insist that we cite that shareholders' agreement before they go into partnership together.
0: Look, I'm a great believer in, 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 um, in my, uh, I suppose over the years, in, in strong partnerships. And you're quite right. You must always have the exit strategy. But the benefits from a, a good partnership, they just add so much if you've got the right chemistry. So that's that's a very, I think that's a, that's a very smart move, and that's no doubt helped your growth of pool Poolworks. Yeah. Um, right. Moving into the next point, there was um, you've got an interesting. You've got an interesting line there, ignoring the 51% rule. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I find um, many of us, when we go
1: into business, um, go into partnership. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, typically uh, when you're kicking off your business, uh, it's all hale and hearty and you're, you're sitting around the barbecue having a couple of beers and you finally decide to do it. And it's like, well, yeah, h- how are we going to, uh, you know, who's going to have what share? And it's like, you know what, why don't we do it 50-50? Mm. Well, it's probably uh, the weakest and worst decision you could ever make. Um, uh, my experience is that you know, 50-50 partnerships uh, always end up in grief, and unfortunately they um, they normally end up being a handbrake on the business. Um, franchising small business by its very nature, it's one of its key assets is as being fleet of foot, quick to market, quick to change. Mm. Um, and you, you need to be able to make quick decisions on the fly all the time. So... There really it does need to always be a major shareholder uh, somebody who has more than fifty percent um, so that you, you don't ever get bogged down um, I had an example like that i I had uh, Bob Bunning you mentioned um, Bob and I inherited each other as partners and uh, we had 50-50 partnership and you know fabulous man, and we had a great relationship and um, Bob was um, you know some fifteen years older than me and as the business grew, was wanting to invest more of the um, profits into his super. And, because I was wanting to invest more of the profits into growing. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah we, we kind of had an impasse there. So I needed to uh, uh, buy Bob out. It was the most expensive 1%
0: I've ever bought in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share that experience on one occasion. I know what you mean. You end up paying, as you say, 99% for... <laughs> oh, dear.
1: Yes. But, you know, I've... Um, I've now had uh, two other shareholders for the last ten years. I, I actually own over fifty one percent of the company and uh, you know, we have an external board uh, they both have representatives on the board and it's it's been a great ride. and we've actually never had to have a vote in those ten years. we. We get there through uh,
0: common sense now. Mm. But having that 51% up your sleeve always helps. Yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Other observations? Uh, You mentioned briefly in the family business the element of divorce creeping in. (laughs) doesn't creep in. (laughs) No, it comes in like an express train. Okay. (laughs) Look, um,
1: uh, we all know the rates of divorce. In fact, if you get married today, the chances are your marriage will last seven years. So. um, you know, I was married for uh, 20, 23 years. Uh, Julie and I um, uh, worked uh, together in the business and put you know, up a lovely three kids and a, and a family. Um, unfortunately, uh, our marriage came to an end, and um, as often happens when you're um, in these situations, um, uh, your and your solicitor will probably advise you of it, as your assets are in your wife's name uh, oh. to protect you from being sued and losing the, the family's assets. So uh, you you get to a situation where in my case um, I had uh, sort of pioneered the brand and uh, and done most of, I suppose, the the risk and thought um, and suddenly found myself going through a settlement uh, and my two shareholders um, who I just mentioned uh, contacted me one day and said, uh, John, we've just received a letter from your wife's, divorcing wife's solicitors. Offering us uh, your 51% stake
0: for sale. Goodness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, can I feel the hairs going up on people's necks? Wow, good <laughs> job they were on side, huh? That was the potential, that yeah, was potentially the end of John O'Brien and Poolworks. It was. But look, they uh, they realised that
1: uh, uh, you know, they needed to, to, to support me. And uh, interestingly, I received a letter at the same time, uh, same day, from my wife's solicitors saying that if I didn't agree to the settlement, that they'd in fact um, change the locks, um, take over the business, and I, they'd insert a new CEO and I'd be sacked. Oh, goodness, <laughs> not a good day. <laughs> but I, I only share these experiences, which mm. are quite personal experiences, to yeah. um just bring the harsh reality of what can happen if you don't have good planning in your business. Mm. So you you need to anticipate that with your solicitor, uh, in your agreements, in your shareholders, with uh, your partner. And Look, we got through all of that and uh, we're very good friends today, but um, chances are it'll happen to half of you.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, so provision there. and It really is horses for courses, isn't it? People have to determine what suits them, I guess, and... What their respective partners are, are comfortable with, so it's uh, it's, it's quite a uh, quite a complex issue.
1: Well, when you're a franchisor, of course, if you don't um, structure that and anticipate that responsibly uh, with you and your wife and your solicitor, it, it can bring down your whole brand and affect your whole franchise system and all your franchise partners. Uh, uh, there's nothing more unsettling to a franchise system than when the the founder, CEO,
0: um, goes through a divorce. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, that's some gems there. So thanks for sharing those with you uh, with us. I appreciate. I mean, they are personal matters, so uh, um, that's very generous of you. I appreciate that. Um, the um, the the next item there that is, was uh, your views with regards to insurance, John.
1: Yeah. Look, um, I think in small business. Uh, we're insurance adverse. Um, she mm. was, uh, only needed to have lived in Queensland last summer to have uh, experienced that. But, um, I'm a big believer in insurance today, not only to give me, uh, personally peace of mind, but to protect the business, uh, for all of our franchise partners. Um, you know, uh, very early in the piece, uh, my brother and I were servicing um, uh, a route uh, just prior to Christmas, and, and he rode off his truck. You know, thankfully that was insured. Uh, we were doing the route uh, together, and he fell off the back of the truck and broke his arm. Wow. <laughs> but we had you know, key man insurance, so I was able to hire people to cover him. But yeah, over the years, um, you know, I've uh, I've had theft, uh, internal theft, white collar fraud. Um, I have fiduciary insurance against that that has covered me on three different occasions um, i 've even this past year uh, you know with the amount of there was all that ash cloud last last year that was affecting flights and whatever, so I insured my convention against disruption oh, oh that's um, yeah well i'd never I was never aware of that, but I was oh. very nervous about. Uh, being, uh, hit with, uh, you know, the Sanctuary Cove Resort for a whole, you know, four days and all the rooms and all the food okay. because I couldn't get there and, uh, anyway, uh, that didn't happen. So I go through a full insurance review. I, I treat that seriously as a CEO every year with my, uh, uh CFO and our external broker. Um, I mean, in addition to that, um, we, we have a corporate, uh, insurance cover for all of our franchise partners that's actually compulsory where they, uh, they've got to have um, uh, motor vehicle insurance, sickness and accident insurance, um, theft insurance, uh, property insurance, disruption of business insurance. Um, and th- that, that suite of insurances is is in the franchise agreement. It's compulsory for our guys, um, and we actually have to, through our broker... Uh, uh, approach every single franchisee that doesn't renew with the broker and make sure we're cited uh, that they have that
0: policy in place with somebody else. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's the house of cards, isn't it? Yep, yep. Very yeah. important. Mm. Yeah, as you say, we're a bit insurance adverse because you're looking and say, well, you know, do I really need to spend that money? It's not <laughs> you don't necessarily get a return for it today, but uh, yeah, you've, you've given us some examples there to reinforce the fact, particularly with going into franchising where you, you suddenly, over a period of years, you're expanding quite dramatically and the liabilities extrapolate. Quite, quite, quite horrifically, in actual fact. Yeah.
1: And with our new franchisees, when a when a new franchisee joins a business, and I don't know that enough franchisors do this, but included in their startup pack, their, their what they pay when they join the system, uh, is their first year's insurance cover uh, is included in that. All the things I talked about before.
0: I commend you for that. Mm. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant idea. Mm. Yeah, it just saves it being overlooked, and it's part and parcel of budgeting for it. And that probably means they might be able to fund it as well, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, good idea. You also mentioned during that insurance there, a bit of uh, sort of white-collar theft and so forth.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> the, <know>. uh, <laughs> <guys>. to raise
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't know about you, Brian, but I, I think most of us budding entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, the thing we hate most is the account side of the business, oh, the administration oh. side. And I think it was the happiest day of my business life when the business was big enough to afford my first in-house accountant. And and I literally just you know, shoved everything across the table at him and said, it's all yours. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember um, he was on leave and I went to his top drawer. It was in the days of checkbooks and pulled out the checkbook to write a check and I could see all these butts um, he owned a number of rental properties, and I was quickly worked out that he was renovating his rental properties out of my uh, cash. My goodness! <laughs> I you know, did a quick uh, reconciliation over a couple of nights and you know, worked out he'd, he'd taken me for forty grand. But oh. back, back then, you know, that was make or break for me. That, that forty yeah. grand. Yeah. Um, I, I made a mistake. I, I got him to pay me back uh, in return for me not reporting him to the police and. Uh, whilst I got my money back, um, I didn't do other people a favour, and in fact, I, I later learnt through the police he went on to do that to three other companies. Wow! Um, a few years later, you know, you think you've got your controls in place, they fall down. Um, I had a um, uh, an accounts clerk who who was paying the bills, and I had a, another administration clerk who was booking all of our travel around Australia and all of our laptop computers, um, and they were in collusion. So one was ordering and one was paying. Uh, And (laughs) turned out they merrily bought themselves a suite of computers. They travelled all around Australia on their holiday. (laughs) And they clocked up (laughs) $70,000. painful. Now this time I reported both of them, and uh, one of them uh, did time. Um, but in both cases, luckily I had what's called a fiduciary insurance um, against white collar fraud and I got 90% of that back, um, which was fortunate. But um, I now uh, every month, uh, sorry, every week I now see a cash flow, every Monday morning. Um, that cash flow is reconciled to the debtors report, the creditors report, um, our bank statement, and to the ATO um, uh, monthly report that you get off your uh, your window. So um, cash- weekly cash flow that is reconciled to four key reports. Um, in addition to that, I um, I pay my external accountant um, to come in. I pay him uh, th- uh, for a full 12 months um, to come in and do uh, monthly spot audits on different parts of the business mm. to make sure we haven't got a problem. So um, uh, I'm not saying yes, it's foolproof, it's,
0: but no. But uh, look, it just shows, as you said earlier. I think you're absolutely right. You know, m- most of us really dislike a- the account side of the business intensely, and the opportunity to give someone else, the, the, you know, the, the the role is one we relish. But the fact is, you on a weekly basis have to spend time diligently going through and checking it, because otherwise, you just don't know what's happening, and you can be, um, you can certainly be. Uh, um, yeah, be, be misled, mm. quite simply. And, and the extra cost of having your external accountant come in is just another, uh, just another check and balance, isn't it? Well,
1: it's like an insurance, really. It,
0: mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's invaluable knowledge for people, I think, to, to bear in mind. It's so easy to put that off, you know. You've got a busy week or you're travelling and you say, oh, well, I won't, look, I won't look this week, and before you know it, it slips away and uh, the, the, the door sort of edges open for someone, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, the challenge of growth. One of the most famous areas of businesses becoming, I suppose, complacent and then um, caught by surprise. So what what are your comments on that aspect?
1: Yeah, look, sadly, um, I've had two uh, of my friends go broke in the last 12 months. I mean, things are a little bit tougher. Um, But um, both of those were very good businesses um, that simply uh, went broke growing. Uh, They ran out of cash. Mm. And um, yeah, they, the reason they ran out of cash, of course, is that uh, they uh, uh, they weren't they weren't focusing on a number of things. They weren't certainly weren't collecting their debtors on time. Um, you know, in, in our case, um, I mean, I got to a stage there about I remember a horrible day five years ago where uh, I realised I had a, over a five hundred thousand dollar tax bill. Wow. Um, you know, you reckon I didn't go white that day. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it was when I looked into the business, I realized that we were mismanaging um, our debtors. Uh, and there was about $230,000 um, sitting in excess debtors. Um, so, you know, I simply had weekly debtor meetings, um, put most of our debtors on uh, 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 monthly direct debits from their bank accounts and, you know, recovered in a short period of time nearly half of the, the bank debt and scheme of arrangement and, uh, sorry, the tax debt scheme of arrangement and paid them out, you know, within six months. But, um, you you certainly got to keep an eye on, on your debtors and, and uh, there's no sale in your business until you've been paid for it.
0: Yeah, uh, and stressful stuff because there you are trying to focus on the growth yeah. of the business. You're going along at a rapid rate. And you're distracted with the issues there, which are really worrying, really, you know with the, the tax department are, are pretty relentless, let's face it yeah and uh, it's, it's it's an unpleasant sort of threat uh, to have hanging over your head. It is, but you know the the ato I've
1: um, probably been in three or four or five scheme of arrangements over the years where um, but the thing is though if you keep on top of your cash flow and you see the crunch coming and most businesses are seasonal anyway and you're responsible about it, and you attack it early, and you go to the tax office, um, you know, I think they're more lenient today, uh, even mm. though there's bluff and bluster, than in my entire working career. Um, so you know, they'll, they'll certainly enter into a scheme of arrangement, but you know, don't abuse it. I also find too with your banks, um, uh, you know, banks are tougher than they've ever been before, but um, putting in place overdrafts before you need them, Right. Um, you know, it's silly putting in an overdraft when you need it because a bank won't give it to you. You know the, yeah, you know the old story about a bank will lend you an umbrella when it's sunny and I'll take it away when it's rainy. You know, so,
0: so when you yeah, so I was making those provisions for a rainy day as yep. it worked Yeah, yeah. Yep, when you you're not going to have the opportunity to take out those um, correct uh, those schemes. Yeah, good point. But the final but one, about, final one was
1: creditors. You know you. Um, you know, I'm a bit of an old-fashioned businessman, but I-, I believe that when I can, I actually pay my creditors on time. I, I don't pay them a day early, but I pay them on time. And mm. what that means is that w- when you have got your back to the wall, um, you can go and ask them for some grace, for some help.
0: Oh, I think that's the key, isn't it? It's communicating with these people, whether it's the ATO, the bank, creditors, whatever it may be, or even pursuing your debtors. It's, uh, yeah. it's actually having that relationship so you can communicate um, rather than have a surprise arrive. Yeah, it's well put. Yeah. Alright, and then uh, <laughs> an interesting one. I'll leave you to the next uh, point on the <laughs> Sean and I are laughing because I'm sure you'll all raise a smile when you hear this one. So we're talking about sex, Brian. That's right. But it in there
1: halfway. It normally wakes people up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, sex in the office. Um, when you've got a, a franchise network, um, Invariably that normally means husband and wife teams, that normally means their families are involved too in most cases. Um, their families are involved if they don't work in the business around the kitchen table. And, uh, you know, it goes very much to the culture of the organisation. And, uh, you know, because you get husbands and wives and families involved, you um, you just gotta be so across, uh, you know, what is the culture of your organisation? What are the values? What do you stand for? Um and you know this is just an example I suppose, where you know we have a big annual convention we have four hundred people uh every year um we've just had our sixteenth um you know one of the rules I've got uh um, thirty five support staff, and uh you know I have this rule and we get up and talk about it that you know there is no liaisons, there is no sex at conventions, it's just not on, and it's a sackable offence. Yeah, yeah, you know, unfortunately four hundred people and a bit of alcohol, you know, things happen and um, one of my best salespeople uh broke the rule uh one day and I had no choice but to uh to sack that person. But before I did I um I said I tell you what, I'm gonna get a, a group meeting of all of our head office people together. Uh I'm gonna give you the chance to come and publicly apologise to the whole team for breaking the rule. Um And then I'll give them the chance to vote on whether you stay or not, but it has to be 100%. If one person of the 35% you're out. Um, And uh, just before they cast the vote, I said, but remember ye without sin throw the first stone <laughs> so there was a hundred percent approval that day and i learned that i had a lot of sinners in my business <laughs> but uh, that was about seven years ago and we've had no instance of that since and uh, you know kind of that that went right through the business so um, mm. how we dealt with it and we actually earned a lot of brownie points uh, with our network for treating it so seriously yeah well,
0: that, that's an amazingly bold stroke I have to say I'll turn my hat off to you on that because that's uh, particularly you know your top salesperson there that's the, after all said and done that's what brings your key revenue in and uh, yeah. that's a big call uh, um, and then um, lo- loyalties
1: yeah look um, this is part of what happens with an emerging business I suppose um, uh, kind of when you're halfway along your journey um, the people that start with most of us in our franchise businesses as I said before, are family, friends, and fools. and um, They're the people that often stay with you for five and ten years and you wouldn't be where you were if it wasn't for them. They're the heart and soul of the business. Um, what normally happens, I find, about halfway along your journey is that you've reached an inflection point in your business where you need to um, bring in smarter, younger people from other industries with uh, better qualified Because invariably the people you started with, every now and again somebody surprises you and they can go the journey. But invariably about halfway along, a lot of the people you started with hit a brick wall and they can't grow your business anymore. Mm. And that's a very hard day because um, you, you can encourage them to get educated, you can help them, give them time, give them money. But if they're not prepared to or not able to... You've actually got to have the guts to be honest with them for the sake of the system, and encourage them to exit the business, and bring in either exit the business or be prepared to take a lesser role to be a, a bigger, to be a smaller fish in a bigger pond. Mm, but not mm. too many people are prepared to do that. No, no, and, and that's a tough time in your business. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Yeah, those are calls you obviously had to make over the years; otherwise, your gro- growth would have been. Basically, been um, you'd have been stagnating. Yeah, look, we've got two executives that have been with us over 10 years,
1: and uh, they fit that mould. Um, yeah. And to their credit, they um, they were, were big enough to realise, and, and uh, a couple of years ago, um, both took uh, moved from national roles to state roles, but were prepared to be smaller fish in bigger pond.
0: Excellent. Uh, well congratulations again on achieving that because as you say not easy there's a lot, lot involved a lot of emotions and uh, and then um, I think it came up when we were first talking about, about ego and so forth but uh, the uh, the syndrome of, of knowing it all you reach the point where there's nothing anyone can teach you I guess
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah look I suppose we did cover it before and um, you and I have both seen many a franchise system that hits a wall and I think it's because of this I, I think in in business, uh, in franchising, in particular because we're fleet of foot, that's our, our uh, commercial advantage over large organisations, is that we're constantly reinventing ourselves, refining the system. Uh, one of our values is, um, corporate values, is find a better way. Um, so we're constantly looking to find a better way to do everything we do. And I, I think uh, I often hear in my travels uh, whether it's in my business or in, in other people's businesses where they have that terrible saying oh that won't work we've done it before mm, mm. that's like a klaxon sounding to me
0: Yeah,
1: and um, you know never believe you know it all always look for the better way
0: absolutely be open to it yep it's it's, uh, it's the, the old black hat isn't it it's yes, so easy yeah. to put the black hat on yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and oh the other one is is obviously something you've you've challenged with over the years as well is the usual um, issue is one we cover quite in depth in our programs actually with people in growing their businesses is is actually learning to let go so that they can uh, basically step up to the the bigger challenges of the business and and growth and so on. So um, what's what's your viewpoint there, John? Well, franchise systems have to
1: grow so quickly all the time. And, uh, you know, as founders, we're often control freaks, you know? mm. Um and But, you know, when you're in franchising, you're about finding the better way, about detail, or attention to excellence, all that stuff. So it's a fine balance between attention to excellence and detail and being a control freak, I suppose. Mm. Um, and you never get the balance quite right. And, uh, you know, I realised at a point there a number of years ago that... I had to loosen up the reins, I had to empower our people better, and, you know, one way we did that was to, as I said before, bring in, um, smarter, better, more educated people, but, um, I read that Jack Collins book, um, uh, what was it, was it Good to Great?
0: Oh yes, um, yeah, yeah, excellent stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and,
1: and he, he gave me a secret, he gave me a, uh, sort of an insight there. And he, Jack actually just said, uh, uh, just set your people, uh, their plan, individual plan for the year, and then coach and mentor them along the way to help them achieve it. Gee, that sounds simple. So every year, um, every single one of our 35 support staff, every one of our franchise partners goes through a one month business planning exercise where uh, they set their plan and their goals for the year ahead um, and it's broken down into a monthly and quarterly basis. Um, Every month, uh, every person goes through a meeting with their upline for what's called a personal best meeting and every quarter, they uh, sit down with their upline and review progress to their five KPIs for the year. And, that you know, that goes all the way through the organisation from the 16-year-old chlorine jockey to, you know, the three guys that report to me. And and we've found that that's one way that I've been able to to let go in the business and basically say to people, that's what you agreed to do for the year, that's what you agreed to do each month, each
0: quarter, they're the five KPIs, and let's uh, work through it during the year and coach you to achieving it. So how long has it taken you over the years to get that system developed and entrenched, John? About eight years. (laughs) Right, yeah, 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 yeah. So is it something something you introduced in about eight well, ten years
1: ago, is it? It is. It's all mm. electronic now. It right. uh, it all builds on itself. And uh, um, in regard to the five KPIs, um, people um, are bonused ten percent in the business, five um, percent towards our corporate KPIs, and five uh, and five percent towards achievement of their personal KPIs. Right.
0: So right. they, right. they take right. a
1: lot of notice of it. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I think
1: you have to have reward,
0: don't you? You do. I mean, it's, I think it's uh, it's not what drives people, but it's the encouragement and it's what gives them the. I you know, it gives them the support and acknowledgement.
1: And I think having both corporate, having team KPIs rewards, and having personal rewards are, are very important.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that gives. Well, it does. It does encourage that whole team aspects. So I suppose there's always they're always looking looking sideways or over their shoulder at others in the uh, organisation to make sure they're pulling their weight and helping them achieve their goals excellent Um, I'm sure you've had experiences like me your your next item is (laughs) another painful one Uh believe in lawyers who tell you you will win
1: these are all painful ones they
0: are aren't they (laughs) they're they're invaluable uh, invaluable items for people to appreciate I, I think you know appreciate you sharing them so personally because it is those personal experiences I think that sort of bring it to mind rather than just reading it in a textbook where it tends to float over the head a little bit
1: yeah look um uh, lawyers are, are all over franchising uh, today Most no small businesses can't afford them But they realise that franchise systems um, are a hotbed they, they can certainly rally support from uh, uh, like-minded franchisees And if uh, uh, enough like-minded franchisees um, uh, bond their resources together, they, they've probably got enough clout and enough money to, uh, to take the franchise or on. So, unfortunately, you know, there's, there's lawyers in that space, so, mm. you know, no matter how good a, uh, franchise agreement you might have, um, it, it's meaningless unless you, uh, you have a good relationship with your franchisees and, and a very open relationship and, uh, you know, we've, um, I've found over the years, um, you know, for me, I, I think it's nearly 30 years in franchising, um, is that I've only been uh, to the steps of the court on three occasions and actually never crossed that threshold. I'm a big believer that um, whatever lawyers uh, tell you, it's probably going to cost you uh, three times as much and, and take twice as long. So mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in... Um, uh, going to mediation or arbitration early or just getting over a cup of coffee or a beer with the, the, the people who are unhappy really early. Um, don't hide behind your lawyer. Sideline your lawyers. Um, and don't just get in front of the mail. get in front of the family, get in front of the husband and wife. Um, and you know, nine times out of ten, I find that uh, what appeared to be the reason isn't the reason, that it mm-hmm. was a... A mountain out of a molehill, it was something that started five years ago and wasn't dealt with early. It was a problems are only small problems that were allowed to become big problems.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah.
1: uh, um, that's what I've found over the years, and um, I actually don't listen to lawyers too often when it comes to uh, wanting me to take litigation.
0: And that's the strength in building up a good team, where you've obviously got that communication It's part of your your, your basic values of the business, isn't it? It is. So you just share issues if you've got them.
1: Well, every year, Brian, and and that's not quite in the space, but um, apart from seeing all my franchise partners at our annual convention, um, in the interim sort of six months, um, I actually take two months and uh, travel Australia. um, jump in the car, jump in the plane and I actually visit every single franchisee uh, in this store, in their business um, and meet as many of the nearly 1,000 employees in the business with a handshake or an eyeball uh, or a scone or a cup of tea or something as I can and it goes a long way.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's pers- you know, Business is personal. The value of small business and franchising is that personal element. Otherwise you become a corporate. Yep and once you become a corporate you're in the Alan Joyce Qantas sort of yeah. uh, space and we can see we see what can happen there. It can happen so easily yeah. particularly with lawyers yeah. I mean they are ambulance chasers whatever industry or, or field they're in and it's basically yeah. the same they're just looking for trouble yeah yeah, yeah much as I respect them of course for yeah. uh, the lawyers on the line <laughs> right, um, You obviously believe a believer in funding as well from the point of view of stimulating growth and uh, facilitating growth Look debt's that's, that's good
1: um, uh, no point being an entrepreneur or being, uh, developing your franchise brand if you're debt adverse, um, you may as well give up. <laughs> you um, you can't get enough uh, uh, funds from incoming franchisees to keep ahead of the curve and as a mentor of me said, said to me early in the piece, John, there's, there's nothing wrong with borrowing, there's nothing wrong with debt as long as you can service the debt. Um so you yeah, know remembering that you know your business um, better than anybody else, so you know that whatever you 're borrowing um, that y- you 've got the ability to cash flow it to repay it, and whatever interest you pay on the debt because you know your business so well, you know that you will grow that investment by way more than the interest you 're paying on it mm. so you know i 've always been of the view um, and it, it may not particularly be cute in today 's environment but I've always borrowed as much as people will allow me, uh, will lend to me, um, knowing that uh, I've got tight controls and good cash flow, and uh, uh, I can service the debt. Um, you know, I couldn't open um, Perth and Sydney for love nor men- money. Uh, Perth and Melbourne, rather, I spent uh, a fortune on three attempts to uh, uh, to go in there and open them direct or put on a master franchisee. But because we have a lot of national accounts, the defence force, real estate groups, hotel groups, um, I needed to be national. Mm. So you know, I bought, I borrowed the money, um, and I bought two existing groups, so one in Perth and one in Melbourne. Um, and uh, uh, you know, straight away, I was up and running. Um, I'm a big believer in borrowing to buy a competitor, um, because the, the hidden thing in buying a competitor, yeah, you buy their business and. Yeah, you can do your rate of return and your multiples and your P&Ls, but you also get rid of a competitor. <laughs> yeah,
0: yes, yeah, uh, and I'd often learn some some interesting little gems along the way. Yeah, I actually think buying a competitor is
1: is almost worth paying double for in some ways. Um, so uh, takes the pressure
0: don't, off. <laughs> don't say that <laughs>
1: to any of my competitors. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> they'll be queuing up. <laughs> so I'm big on borrowing and borrowing early. Yep, yeah, all right, it's good to hear. Uh, And it's interesting because I consider you a fairly conservative individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Being a victim, this is circumstances where you you, you feel the world's tumbling down on you, is it?
1: Yeah, look, these are are probably, um, uh, this is probably a more general one I suppose, but um, our fifth value uh, in our business is energise. It seems to be in business and even more so in these tougher times that it's very easy for people to be negative to, Mm. you know, when you run a business, you've just got to be such an energy bank, you've got to have energy coming out your ears, you've got to renew it every day because everybody wants to suck it out of you every day. And you just don't have any scope or room to be a victim. In business, to, to lead a business, to be an entrepreneur, to be a franchise or you just gotta be aware that, you know, it's, even if you've got a great idea and you're gonna grow a great business, that uh, um, because franchisees have their house on the line, um, it's not just an employee relationship, it is a very personal relationship and uh, they own you uh, and they uh, it's a, you're not the boss, uh, you're in a partnership with them, albeit you might have a bigger partnership with the business and um, I suppose there's, there's no room for you to be the victim, you've got to be the, the font of renewable energy and positiveness in small business. I mean I had a, uh, a situation uh where um, we're all challenged in business today by uh particularly in retail and service by online okay. and uh you know for 3 4 years our franchise partners have been challenging us well, what is our solution to to uh, online traders to e-traders and yeah it's only about 3 to 5% of our business but you know it appears to be much bigger than it is mm, right. um, so you know I held back I held back I held back looking for a different way of tackling because I didn't just want to be another me too e-tailer competing on price so you know we launched six months ago with a a very innovative approach where uh, we look to go online to take consumers offline so um, you can go onto the Poolworks site you'll see all sorts of Poolworks products but you'll see them at full recommended retail price which our suppliers love but for that price, um, because we're within um, drive distance of 85% of Australia's pools, for that price we will deliver it to you free and we will install it free. And because we're installing it, our suppliers love us, we'll give you an extended warranty. And by the way, if ever there's a problem, you know where we are, come and knock on our door. Now that simple strategy, which is completely the opposite to faceless retailers um, delivering out of a warehouse in the back of the Gold Coast, um, we're we're doing incredibly well.
0: Brilliant,
1: brilliant. Uh, and, uh, and that was us refusing to to become a victim of e-commerce, but in fact embracing it as our fourth marketing arm.
0: Well, I think you've done what the consensus seems to be from the the few people who've got their heads up in the space that uh, if, if retailers to survive, they have to find ways of providing the service and giving value without without basically uh, sort of bastardising their product. And um, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, it's yeah. a chance to embrace it? I mean, it's uh, it's a new market for you, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah. Okay, look, wrapping up with a, a very nice, <laughs> very nice topic for the for the dinner table.
1: <laughs> <laughs> look, it, it's not so much a lesson, I suppose, is. It's a smelly lesson. This one, a fish rots from the head.
0: <laughs> uh, this is the title of, uh, of John's last last uh, point: is rotting fish heads. So <laughs> hence the la- The pride of laughter. Yeah. I, uh, I actually
1: gave this presentation to the Aubrey Chamber of Commerce when I uh, opened our 70th store uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, I, I do mean it very seriously. I, I think uh, in in these tougher times that. Um, Uh, there's probably nothing more important to people who might be on the line today as to leadership. Um, uh, Leadership has never been more important in any part of uh, the world, and in particular in small business and franchise businesses, because um, times are tough. Uh, People have got their backs to the wall. It is a changing world and a changing economy. And um, we're paid for. We put our hand up for it. We're the leaders of our industry or our particular brand. Um, and uh, if there's anything wrong, I challenge people, if there's anything wrong in their particular brand or business, uh, they're probably going to get the mirror out and look at themselves first. Um, yeah, yeah. And if there's anything right in their particular business, um, it's probably coming from them also. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, the, the solution uh, or the problem to uh, most issues in our particular brands uh, uh, sits right with, uh, with us.
0: Some very uh, yep, yep, Absolutely, get the mirror out and uh, have a close look every morning. Um, John, thank you for that extensive um, uh, sort of rendering there of information and experience and there's some absolute gems amongst all that and a lot of good common sense which uh, one can easily overlook, particularly in the planning stage when you're growing a business. Um, I'll just take the opportunity to ask if anybody does have any questions. If you have a question, just press star six and uh, just voice it over the phone now and we'll, we'll address it for you. I'll take it there are no questions there at this point in time, but uh, if I can only come through, John, I may take the liberty of dropping you an email or something like that. So what I'd like to do is, um, just to wrap up the call, on behalf of How to Franchise Simply and the listeners, thank John O'Brien for making his time available today and really giving some, some, I think, invaluable personal insights into franchising and and the growth and the history and the ups and downs and the experiences that he's had in franchising. So I'd like to uh, wish you, John, and everyone else on the call a Merry Christmas and a prosperous new year and say that I'm looking forward to presenting our next teleconference which will be for our members in late January 2012. So until then, thanks very much indeed and again, enjoy your Christmas break. Thank you all. I hope you've enjoyed it.